From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. But if we can start to think about these things and implement ways to make our, those patients feel more comfortable in our practices, they're more likely to engage in care. They're more likely to get the care that they need, and they're more likely to see better outcomes. That's Jessica Ellis Wilson talking about her goal for all patients, regardless of their sexual orientation or identification, having access to competent, inclusive, non-discriminatory physical and mental health care. We'll hear more from Jessica in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. As the second largest expense for most businesses, employee benefits costs impact the financial health of your organization. Gain a competitive advantage by joining MGMA Benefits Plus for a forward-thinking webinar that addresses cost containment strategies in employee benefits. The free webinar is Tuesday, June 28th. Go to mgma.com events to register today. Breast cancer will impact one in eight women. The best way to decrease mortality in breast cancer is early detection. On-site women's health provides healthcare practices and providers with the ability to bring screening mammography in-house. Partnering with OnSite allows more women to keep up with their annual screening and gives anyone impacted by breast cancer a fighting chance. Learn more at OnSiteWomen'sHealth.com. Our guest today is Jessica Ellis Wilson. She's a CMPE, a principal consultant at Practical Management, and an expert in breaking down the barriers of biases in the workplace. She's also found success in developing programs in diversity, equity, inclusion in the healthcare space. And one of her goals is for all patients to have access to competent, inclusive, non-discriminatory physical and mental health care. Well, Jess, thanks so much for joining us again on the MGMA Insights podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, now I, I want to address where um, where we are right now, because when we did talk last fall, it was on a particular topic, healing and healthcare. That was a session that you uh, delivered to our audience um, back in San Diego in the fall, uh, yes. which was very popular, had some great reception there. You spoke about empathy, compassion, and kindness in that workplace, particularly in that healthcare setting. Um, I want to turn that lens to where we are today. We're talking June 22nd. It's Pride Month. And I wanted to get an idea from you what those topics and what those ideas of empathy, compassion, and kindness mean in the context of healthcare and in the healthcare setting. Right. So when we're talking about empathy and compassion and kindness, particularly from a healthcare perspective, and this is a growing movement, right? Uh, Dr. Stephen Treziak and Anthony Mozzarelli just published a second book on specifically this topic. Their first one was Compassionomics. Their second one just dropped, I think last week, The Wonder Drug, which is um, compassion, uh, compassion-based care. 
it's so important when we're looking at marginalized communities to really make sure we're fostering that empathy. And in terms of the LGBTQIA community, there are some exceptional marginalizations and a lot of intersectionality. So we know that, for example, transgender people of color are among some of the most marginalized people in society. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. And there's a lot of social determinants of health that come into that where marginalization affects you know, your access to care, your ability to make your appointments, your ability to you know, hold down a job and all of these types of things. And we sometimes, try to focus on, we just need to get our, our patients A1Cs under control without looking at, do they have access to food? Are they in a food desert? Do they have transportation to get to their, to a grocery store? Do they have the, are they holding down three jobs? They don't have the capacity to cook healthy food, you know? So all of these things, intersect. And, you know, when we look at a model of really patient focused care, we have to look at the patient as a whole person. And there are so many things affecting um, the queer community today, the LGBTQIA plus community, that if we're aware of, we can be a little more mindful when we're asking people to do things and to know to ask some questions about access to resources and things like that. Okay. So when we talk about that, we're, let's, let's look at it in two different directions here. One will be from the patient perspective. One will be from the employee perspective. So let's address it as uh, patients first. Where are we right now? What kind of care are we providing for those patients? Where do we need work? Yeah. So across the board, research is showing that our LGBTQIA plus patients are experiencing a pretty disheartening level of discrimination in the healthcare setting. Um, recent a re- research uh, study that I saw said that over 35% of LGBTQIA plus adults have experienced significant discrimination in healthcare, leading them to not seek further treatment. Um, so that's bad on a whole number of levels, right? right. Because we, but we can't get people better if we can't get them in the door to be seen. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues that specifically affect this population. So we know that LGBTQIA plus people, um, are more likely to have mental health challenges because of the societal marginalization. We know that transgender youth, for example, are seven times more likely to, um, attempt or commit suicide. We know seven times more likely and things as simple as access to gender affirming healthcare can reduce that by as much as 70%. I mean, it's, it's a profound difference that we can make if we're aware of the issues and there's not a lot of practices across the country who are focusing specifically on LGBTQIA plus people. There's a few um, here in Boston, there's Fenway Healthcare, which is a, a phenomenal um, organization, but there's not a lot. And if we in our small little practices 
and even our larger, you know, some of us listening or, you know, run very large practices. But if we can start to think about these things and implement ways to make our, those patients feel more comfortable in our practices, they're more likely to engage in care. They're more likely to get the care that they need, and they're more likely to see better outcomes. Um, and we have to think about our care in terms of the large, the the larger society that we're living in. So a lot of states are still allowing things like conversion therapy, which is actually banned by the Geneva Convention. So why we think that that's a, an, adequate <laughs> an adequate medical treatment is a little terrifying, but only 20 states in the United States specifically ban conversion therapy. Wow. So we have, there's, there's a lot of potential harm that's happening. And we as healthcare providers have to figure out what's the best way to provide care to these patients. And what's the best way to show that we understand that the path that they're walking through the world is harder than, you know, I I'd say it's harder than the average bear, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not the path that, you know, the norm path, um, which when we really get right down to it, a norm, when we refer to normal, we refer to a median, which like nobody quite hits the median, right? We're all mm -hmm. on this spectrum of experiences. But, you know, when, when you've got multiple layers of marginalization, we have to pay a little more attention. Okay. Um, we were talking about it from the patient's perspective, but you wrote me in an email uh, earlier this week about the employee side of things. As you wrote me, it's important right. that we are ensuring competent, inclusive, non-discriminatory policies and benefits for all employees. Yeah. Talk about that through this lens. Yeah. So especially when we look at retaining, recruiting and retaining talent through this, what's looking to be a, a fairly significant recession on the horizon, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that we're having a harder time retaining people than ever before. There's a lot of competition in the workplace right now. It's important to think about what benefits are you offering that are inclusive, that you're making sure everyone can take advantage of that. You know, there's a lot of, there was a push for a lot of wellness programs for a while, which are, you know, unfortunately exclusive to a lot of folks with disabilities. And when we look at benefits and policies in terms of the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, the employer sponsored healthcare that you offer, does it, does it provide coverage for gender affirming care? Does it provide coverage for hormone therapy? Does it provide coverage for, you know, same sex spouses right now, mm -hmm. uh, same sex marriage is legal federally, there's some discussion that there's going to be challenges to that. And if that falls, a lot of states um, still have laws on the books, specifically banning same-sex marriage. And if you fall in a, if you operate in a state where that's the case, what protections are you negotiating with your benefits um, vendors to make sure that those employees remain protected if those federal protections lapse? In um, 26 states, it is still legal to fire someone for being gay. Hmm. 27 states allow you to fire someone for being transgender. Um, that's, that's more than half the country. Right. And as healthcare providers, we want to make sure that we are, you know, 
best in class in terms of the benefits we're offering and, and being welcoming and inclusive of people. But that means paying attention to what's happening and making sure that in these states that are banning, literally banning transgender, you know, gender affirming care, particularly for under the under 22 age range, how are you handling that? What are you doing? What supports are you able to put in place? Not just for our patients, but also for our employees who fall, whose families fall into these umbrellas and who are affected by this. You know, you can imagine the, the immense emotional strain it would be for an employee to have to wonder whether their marriage was going to be legal in two years or whether they're, you know, they're, if they happen to be transgender, their gender transition, which they have worked for years on most of the time was going to, they were going to be forced to go back to the sex they were assigned at birth. There's, there's a lot of very scary anti-LGBTQIA legislation happening at the state level in a lot of states. And so, you know, being aware all of us in practice of the state, the laws that are being passed, the laws that are being discussed and being affirming and being proactive to say to your employees, we're going to protect you. We're going to make sure you feel safe here. Um, and, and learning how to do that, learning what they need and what you can put in place to do that. Mm -hmm. The, the third aspect of this that you had conveyed to me that's important here when we're thinking about this topic is for healthcare leaders to really uh, work within their communities. You wrote that to me and I was, I mean, in theory, that sounds, you know, spot on, but what do you mean by that? In what ways are you suggesting or have you seen success with healthcare workers working in the community? So there's a lot of different things that we can do in some and it depends on your level of comfort. I am certainly not asking anyone to, you know, push themselves into a situation where they're really, really not able to be effective or that is going to put them in any kind of danger. But we are healthcare leaders in the middle of what is still a global pandemic, right? So our communities are looking to us to set the tone for things. And we can do that. We've been doing that for COVID-19 and we can do that for other things too. It can be as simple as taking the time to do some volunteer work, do some volunteer hours at um, an LGBT, LGBTQIA plus organization. There are in larger cities, there's a lot of times there are homeless shelters specifically dedicated to the queer community. There are, you know, soup kitchens. There are organizations that just work on anti, you know, suicide prevention and anti-bullying and acceptance. There's the, it gets better campaign and the no hate and the Trevor foundation. So there's lots of organizations out there where you can volunteer. You could just have organize some community town halls where a speaker with some expertise comes and talks that you as an organization are sponsoring. It can be getting, making sure that you're paying attention to your local community politics and speaking out with the authority of, you know, if you're a doctor, if you have a PhD, if you've got some, some clout to your, in your community, leveraging that on behalf of the people who are more marginalized. So there's a whole spectrum of things that we can do. The most important thing is to be seen in the community as accepting 
of the LGBTQIA plus community. And really, you know, it can be as simple as flying a pride flag. You know, it, it's something that says we recognize that you're here and we are, you are going to be safe with us because not only does that signal for the people within that community that this is a safe place, but it signals to the community that it is okay to do that. Okay. It's it's the positive side of social contagion, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I was, I think that's a, a wonderful way to end your, your thoughts on it. But I did want to ask, as far as resources are concerned, when you're working with practices um, or addressing this MGMA community here through the podcast, are there places we can point people to that can keep them better informed or give them better guidance on Absolutely. some of the, yeah, how they can navigate? Absolutely. Yes. So there's a, there's a few things. So OutCare Health is a nonprofit that provides a lot of education specifically around the LGBTQIA plus um, population. And they just partnered with Optum. So if you do, if you have an, an account with Optum Healthcare, which is free to create, you can do some of their trainings. You can go straight to OutCare Health and they have a lot of resources on their website as well. The Human Rights Campaign um, ranks every state in terms of the laws that are on the books and where they fall and what priorities um, are most important for the communities at the time. Um, so the priorities in Massachusetts, where I live, for example, are much different than the priorities in Mississippi mm -hmm. or Texas or some of these other states that are passing some really um, anti-queer legislation. There's the Trevor Project, um, particularly for pediatricians, but for everybody who takes care of the LGBTQIA population under 40, um, there's going to be some really good resources at the Trevor Foundation as well. And there's, you know, lots of other organizations that do a little more um, activism and a little mm -hmm. less, you know, care of the pop those marginalized populations, but those places will get you started. And it, you know, if anybody is looking for more information, the AMA, um, the APA, and the American Academy of Family Practice and the American Academy of Pediatrics all have huge um, de benches of resources available. And there are some where start MGMA, we're starting to build that mm -hmm. depth of bench of resources, but there are a few, if you, if you want to get started just from our perspective, um, going to the MGMA website and uh, typing diversity, will mm -hmm. get you a few, um, a few articles to get you started. And if anybody says, I've already done all of that and I want more information, um, my contact information is going to be here. You can feel free to email me and I have pages and pages and pages of more in-depth stuff um, that I would be happy to send you that you can happily spend, you know, years of your life digging through <laughs> because that that's, I have been working on this since 1995. That was the first uh, talk that I gave specifically around what was then GLBT. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm still learning and I'm still um, digging into resources and finding new new ways to look at things and new solutions. So I'm happy to share that that expertise and those years of research with other people. <laughs> where just to remind us, what is that website that, for you where they can find your resources? So my website is uh, PMM 
pmalconsulting.com. So it's practical management and leadership consulting, pmalconsulting.com. Okay. And I know you provided a lot of different resources. So just everybody, um, just know that uh, in the show notes, I will put links to those various um, resources that Jess discussed. So you can just click right on them. And uh, that first one she mentioned about Optum is really interesting because there is some online learning that's actually been accredited uh, for them. And uh, I've seen that uh, going around on LinkedIn and some of the other social media areas. So I'm going to make sure that everybody has access to that. And Jess, yeah. I want to just thank you. I reached out to you on short notice after seeing actually that Optum article. There was some coverage of that, what they're going to be offering people. So um, you hopped on uh, bravely and, and quickly <laughs> here for me. And I really appreciate the short notice that you were provided and still said, hey, I'm here to help support this MGMA community in any way. So uh, thank you so much Absolutely. for joining us again. Absolutely. And I actually have done that first module on Optum that was done in connection with OutCare Health. I, I won't recommend any resource that I haven't fully vetted. So I've actually sat through that, that training. And it is a really good introduction for people who are sort of confused on why does it matter to us? And also, what are some of the ways to navigate things like pronouns and, mm -hmm. you know, gender transitions with established patients. And so it's a good sort of foundational first step. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Have a great uh, rest of your day and thank you for joining us. We'll get you back on here on the podcast sooner rather than later. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. It's always my pleasure, Daniel. Thank you so much. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Jessica Ellis Wilson, Principal Consultant at Practical Management. We also want to thank Online Women's Health, as well as MGMA Events, for sponsoring this week's show. It's the second largest expense for most businesses. Employee benefits costs impact the financial health of your organization. You can gain a competitive advantage by joining MGMA Benefits Plus for a forward-thinking webinar that addresses cost containment strategies in employee benefits. This free webinar is Tuesday, June 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. You can go to mgma.com events to register now. And breast cancer will impact one in eight women. On-site women's health provides healthcare practices and providers with the ability to bring screening mammography in-house. Partnering with OwnSite allows more women to keep up with their annual screening and gives anyone impacted by breast cancer a fighting chance. Learn more at OwnSiteWomen'sHealth.com. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to MGMA.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation, or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.